The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good to see a full house here on this beautiful Friday. Spring has sprung, and as uh, Dean Swift said, we're on the downhill side of this spring term. We do have a number of guests with us here. If you're here for the Experience Karen Day, would you just slip your hand up so we can say, look at that, nice big crowd, thank you. Good to have you here. Welcome to Karen. you picked a great day to be. It's like this every day at Karen University outside, so. But it is uh, good to have you with us. It's good uh, to be uh, here with you in chapel uh, as we bring the semester to a close. I have one more session with you, the last week of classes, and uh, then uh, the term will come to an end. And so this morning I want to continue uh, this series from the spring on the wisdom of an intentional life where we're looking at some practical proverbs. I've shared with you on a number of occasions uh, a practice that I have undertaken for a number of years now, uh, almost 40 years, for almost 40 years I've read almost a full chapter of Proverbs almost every day. The almost are the qualifiers because there are those days that you don't. (laughs) But uh, I am committed to doing that and this morning I want to look at at some Proverbs that are actually right in where I'm reading uh, in the current time frame. Uh, The the, uh, the 12th, 13th, 14th or so chapters of Proverbs and some practical issues there. You can feel free to turn there if you want to Proverbs 13. Uh, where I'll be anchoring some of my thoughts this morning. But I want to continue this discussion on the wisdom of an intentional life. It's almost oxymoronic to say it, actually. If we're talking about living wisely, we are necessarily talking about living intentionally. And if you're going to live intentionally, it'll be very difficult to do that without exercising, to some degree, the quality of wisdom. Because we are not called, as followers of Jesus Christ, simply to plod through life, We're warned in the epistle to the Hebrews to be careful about drifting. We're actually exhorted and called as the people of God and followers of Jesus Christ to pay attention to what we think and what we say and what we do, to watch the path of our feet, to live in a particular way, that life is to be lived intentionally. And that's actually what wisdom is. It is is that quality that gives us the ability to navigate this world in a skillful manner. I asked Dean Swift to read from Ephesians because I find it very interesting, the Apostle Paul's choice of closing out that section where he's talking about the way in which we are to walk with an exhortation to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And so I want to sort of use that to sort of point us back to a few practical proverbs. And this morning, what I would like to do is focus on some particular observations, things I want you to be thinking about with regard to to relationships. Relationships in three different uh, ways that I'll unpack in just a little bit, but I, I want to look at this wisdom of the intentional life, some practical proverbs, today focusing on the issue of relationships. Remember, we've talked about things like uh, sloth and uh, being diligent and hardworking. Last time we talked about the issue of being intentional, that you are building a reputation whether you like it or not, and a good name is to be chosen above riches. You should be careful about the way in which you are behaving and the way in which you are thinking and acting because you are establishing your name in this world, and you should not do that without thinking about the consequences of how you conduct yourself. 
Today I want to talk about the issue of being intentional and being wise with regard to relationships. The Ephesians chapter 5 passage is an interesting one because, you know, you can talk about this issue of wisdom, even the issue of relationships, apart from what it means to be people of faith. But what the Apostle Paul does in this letter to the church at Ephesus is interesting because remember what he's doing even in the beginning of the book. He says, you were not dying in your sins. You were what? Dead in your sins. But God made you alive, right? You were, you were lost and found. You were far away and brought near. You were orphans and made sons and daughters. All of the transforming work of the gospel that we are no longer as we were, dead, lost, blind, fools, apart from purpose, that through the work of Jesus Christ and our faith in Him and His atoning sacrifice and all that is accomplished in His death, burial, and glorious resurrection, which we just celebrated, all that is secured for us, redemption and forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. What Paul says to these Christians at Ephesus, now, as a result of that, walk in a particular way. We talk about this all the time here with the, 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 the tagline of the university, walk a different path. It isn't just that you should, as human beings, choose a better way. I would say that to everybody. My unbelieving friends and counterparts, I'd say, you should really choose the best things in life. You should be very careful not to settle for good, but always strive for better or best. You should be careful to be wise. But listen, for us as Christians, it's completely different. For us as Christians, it's not just try to succeed more in the world and navigate the world more successfully. For us as Christians, it's what Paul is saying in this chapter in Ephesians, because you are Christians, you must walk this way. Because we are Christians, because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must choose to walk as wise and not as unwise. And then what's interesting to me in the chapter that was read from Ephesians 5 is is the apostle talks about what it means to walk wisely, to not be given to drunkenness and debauchery and all these kinds of things that should not mark our lives, and then very quickly turns his attention to our temporal relationships, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, masters to servants, servants to masters. He actually says this is part of what it means to be wise, is that you are thinking about your relationships with others, how you view those relationships, how you think about them, how you carry them out what you believe to be the purpose of them. We are not to be unintentional in our lives. Wise we are to be, not unintentional, not plodding, not drifting, and certainly not with regard to our relationships in this world. We are to, as the followers of Jesus Christ, pay attention. Why does that matter? Because the world in which we find ourselves now is so driven, and I've been trying to drive this point this semester, so driven by our preoccupation with and our our almost... Uh, orientation towards circumstance and immediate experience and emotions and preferences such that we kind of say this, well, I'll be a good friend if there's good chemistry between me and the other person. I'll be a good child if my parents and I get along well. The scripture doesn't take that into account. What Paul is saying here in Ephesians is if you want to walk as wise, then your relationships with one another as wives and husbands, husbands and wives, children and parents, parents and children, servants and masters, masters and servants. You have to be on purpose about it. You can't allow those relationships to be shaped by how you feel in the moment. You have to think about them rightly, you have to choose wisely, and you have to move towards a particular end with a purpose in mind, the glory of God and your sanctification, that you are actually moving with purpose, not just through the circumstances of your life, but thinking intentionally about your relationships. 
I find it fascinating that in that letter to the church where he is lining out the gospel and making the clear contrast between our former state and our state in Jesus Christ, that he exhorts them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, walk in love as imitators of God, and concludes that by saying you should walk as wise, not as unwise, as a precursor to his guidance on how we are to navigate our relationships in this world. In this is wisdom. And so to come back to the series for the semester, The Wisdom of an Intentional Life, I would like us to think about what we can glean from the book of Proverbs regarding relationships. And this is what I would say to you. This is the beauty of of biblical wisdom, right? We talked about this. It begins with a fear and reverence of God. You understand who He is and you respect and revere and fear God. You want to please Him. So much so that what the Proverbs do is actually make it clear that those who are wise are often depicted in the book of Proverbs as being synonymous with being upright or righteous. And those that are fools are actually considered synonymous with those that are wicked and depraved and bad people. That's the way the proverb portrays it, that the contrast between wisdom and folly, between being wise and being a fool, is actually a moral issue, not an intellectual issue. And so what ends up happening is for us as Christians, then, this takes on even more import and even more impact that when we think about what the Proverbs actually has to say to us, it's not just how to manipulate the world or maneuver in the world or navigate the world so that you'll be more prosperous or successful. Remember we talked about this with regard to slothfulness. That that the, the warning about being a sluggard isn't just so that you have more money. It's not fitting the people of God to be sluggards. It's just not fitting. It's, it's, it's inconsistent. When we look at it, we say, these two things, they don't go together, right? They don't fit together. If you're going to be a person of God who takes him and his words seriously, you must be diligent. In the same way, if you're going to be a person of God, you can't take the issue of reputation and favor in this world lightly. You are, in a sense, representing someone else. And the way you conduct yourself, the way you think and speak, actually matters. More so because we are Christians representing the Lord Jesus. And the same thing happens here. And I love this particular section of Proverbs because it reads like a series of one-offs. They Actually, this section of Proverbs reads like a collection of proverbs. I mean, it's sort of these, these sort of things about, you know, imbalanced scales and, and uh, contentious people and, and these kinds of things. It's a great section of the book. After sort of laying out in the beginning what it means to receive instruction and aspire to wisdom, to seek it, to hold fast to it, we have this middle section that's very, very practical. And I want to actually think about it with regard to relationships in three particular areas. But again, it underscores this issue of being intentional. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 15, we read this, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Now, I wish I could tell you that, that, that what this means is that the prudent actually pays attention to where they're walking physically. That would make life much easier. Right? You just say, well, the simple just kind of believes people when they say go this way, and the wise person pays attention to where they're walking. But you and I both know this isn't just about walking. And it isn't just about the moral choices that you make. I would assert that this proverbial wisdom, that the simple believes everything, but the prudent be, is very careful about where they put their feet, gives thoughts to their steps, 
means that you should be living life in every aspect of your life with this kind of observant intentionality. Which means that you should not just be experiencing relationships, you should be making good choices about relationships. You should be thoughtful about relationships. Not just what you're going to do together, but what you're actually doing together. Not just what you intend to get out of something, but what you intend to give in a relationship. And there are a couple of different kinds of relationships I would like us to be thinking about that I think there are some proverbs in this section of the book uh, that get addressed. The first one I think that I'd like to call your attention to is one that is very difficult. And it is our relationship with those in our lives who have authority and experience and positional advantage. In Proverbs chapter 12, we read this, the father teaching his children, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is, in the ESV, stupid. Now, um, I actually have trouble reading this in the ESV because in our house, when we were raising our kids, you know how you tell them not to say this word, not to say that word, the S word in our house was stupid. And people thought that we must have had a really buttoned-down house if the S word was stupid. But the reality is we didn't really like that word because it's demeaning. But this proverb is pretty clear. The one who loves discipline loves knowledge. And the one who actually hates reproof or correction is stupid, is foolish, is simple, is unwise. And by virtue of that, in trouble. So the idea here, and I, and I think I've referenced this Proverbs in the series before, one that really stung me as a young man when I was being discipled is that idea that reprove a wise man and he will hear you, reprove a fool and he will hate you. And the idea was that we went through life sort of choosing like only the wise people would be reproved and we wouldn't waste our time on fools, when actually what the proverb says is you show yourself to be wise or a fool based upon the way you respond to correction, counsel, and advice. There's something really telling about the way we respond. And in Proverbs chapter 12, this exhortation is clear. Those who love discipline love knowledge. And one of the things I might say from our 21st century perspective and the cultural moment in which we live, and it doesn't matter what generation you're a part of, it's just the moment in which we live. This idea, the one who loves, the one who loves discipline loves knowledge. Who loves discipline? What kind of freaks are these people? <laughs> that you actually love discipline. Hey, you know what? If you could actually correct me, chastise me, discipline me, if you could actually uh, tell me what I did wrong, that would be really great. Who's walking around saying that? In fact, our natural inclination when we come under discipline of any kind, even if we're talking about not just about discipline for correction, but the discipline of, of training or the discipline of practice, is are you kidding me? I have to do what? It goes against our, we want to push back against it. I've told the story in here because this is when I started reading this chapter. As a, as a teenager, when I was being discipled, I, 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 I was under the care of someone who took, who took reproof pretty seriously. It came my way with great frequency. Right? And his wife. They, they were very good at it and consistent. Right? And I would sometimes be at my station in the, in the horse barn readying for a day of teaching lessons, and I would see her coming up the hill with her Bible under her arm, and I knew what was coming. And I would try to avoid her, 
because I knew what I was about to hear was some form of reproof. I was a bit of a handful, and I knew what was coming. No one runs to that person. Oh, here she comes. I'll meet her halfway. Can't wait to hear what she has to say. No one does that. Or I didn't do that. But the proverb is clear. The one who loves discipline, loves knowledge. Our framework is wrong. Our reference is wrong. The, the, the issue of reproof and discipline is meant for our betterment. And the one who learns that, learns to love it and see it as something that makes them stronger and better. And so in our relationships with those who have authority over us, with those who have experience on us, the way in which we view it and the way in which we respond to reproof and correction matters a great deal. In fact, the exhortation is found elsewhere as well. In 13, chapter 13, verse 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. Those that don't take seriously that someone else has more wisdom or more experience or, or authority such to speak into your life to correct you, if you resist that, scoff at that, you actually see it as worthless and meaningless, you are you are putting yourself in the category of being foolish. The wise man sees that that kind of instruction and reproof and correction is actually for our betterment. It makes us stronger. Now, just an observation about the way this plays out in our world. First of all, I know that as college students, you have no construct of what I'm talking about in, in people correcting your work. I mean, it's a no-brainer to talk about it here, right? I mean, everything now is submitted on e-learning, but, uh, you know, when you get a paperback and there are, there's red ink on it, the question is what? Do you respond to the... Uh, anybody still seeing red ink? Anyway, the, if, the, the sort of the conception of red... the conceptualization of red ink, the correction from a professor. This isn't tight enough. Paragraphs need to be stronger. The topics need to be clearer. Point needs to be made finer. Use examples more effectively. References aren't properly cited. The, re the, the, the tendency is to think, good grief, leave me alone. But the truth is, it is that which will make you stronger in your thinking and communication. There's a reason that you're here. Grades don't exist to punish you. Grades exist to measure your performance that hopefully in your response to it, you actually become stronger. A performance appraisal at work isn't meant to beat you down. It's meant to help give you guidance that you might become stronger and better at what you do. But in a culture that says pressure to become stronger is inappropriate, then naturally what follows is our attitude towards reproof, rebuke, correction, and instruction gets skewed, doesn't it? But the Proverbs, the wisdom of God's Word says, learn to love it because it is for your betterment. It's for your betterment. Now, here's what I think is happening. This is just a little concern I have for you in the day in which we find ourselves. You might, when a, when a mentor or someone who's discipling you or an instructor or a supervisor reproves, rebukes, or corrects you, exhorts you, you might resist it. You might scoff. You might push back. I'm more concerned that there's another part of it that is you will dismiss it, that you will feel broken by it, defeated by it. Give up. Give up. Something has to click in us. Not, we will prove to them. I, I, this happened to me in grad school. I, I, I 
I, first paper that was due, I went with a colleague from here. He taught here for 45 years. He was a Temple grad. He got to do in this class. We were in this class, and the professor handed back papers, and he threw mine at me and said, I guess we see what passes for academic work at your institution. And my colleague was like, well, I guess we're not coming back here next week. My response was, oh, no. No, no, no. I will get an A in this class. Right? The problem is doing something to prove they're wrong is not the same as saying, actually, he was right. Because the truth is, he was right. The work was subpar. It was submitted in haste, and I needed to do better if I wanted to get better at my craft. The truth is, I don't push back and do better because I want to prove him wrong. It's actually deciding that he was right and I had something to learn. There's something different about that, right? But if you encounter a roadblock in your academic or your personal life, your artistic life, your musical life, where you hit correction and you say, that's it, I'm done, you will not get stronger, you will not get better at what you do. You have to see it as part of the process of learning. Receive it. Learn to love it. You think Jesus' disciples didn't get a lesson in this? Every time they turned around, they're off the page. Every time they turned around, Jesus is offering them correction for their betterment. So we need to be thinking wisely about our relationship to those in authority. And being intentional about it, not to see it as as abusive or, or something that is inappropriate or not caring or loving. Rather, learn to love discipline because it is what makes you better and stronger. This exhortation, this, this proverb, the one who loves discipline loves knowledge. You will grow when you learn to value correction. And all you have to do is read through the Bible and you'll see great examples of that. Even King David, with all of his glory and all of his power, needed to be corrected by a friend. And it changed his life. Learn to love it now while you have the chance to practice loving it. Be intentional about it right here. Second group of relationships I want us to think about is those related to marriage and courtship. Whew. I think I've told this story years ago. I had students ask me, you know, would you come in and talk to us about biblical dating? And I, I said I didn't think that would be appropriate because we'd have to talk about swapping livestock and land, right? Because that's really what the Bible has to say. I mean, the truth is, right, the, the Old Testament and the Bible were written in a different day. Um, but there, the issue is this. If you mean how can, can we talk about what the Bible has to say about being chaste and being pure, being caring and being generous, being kind and being loving, being selfless, that's... Now you're talking about biblical dating that isn't going to give you a path to securing your spouse. It's actually going to challenge your character to be a person worthy of another person. And that's something completely different. And that's actually what we need to be thinking about here. The Proverbs are interesting the way they talk about husbands and wives. And, and we all know this to be the case, that it, that it does take this very seriously. In Proverbs 18, we see this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And then in Proverbs 31, of course, we see that a good wife is to be more valued than precious jewels, gems, and wealth. That issue of the, the, the lifelong partner, the husband for the wife and the wife for the husband, you should not be approaching that unintentionally, drifting according to your experiences and emotions. You should be thinking more deeply and robustly about those kinds of relationships. Because they matter a great deal. They matter in this world, and they matter as an expression of your faith in God. 
we take them too flippantly sometimes. I, I think in the fall I've decided to speak on these issues of marriage and family, but, but for right now I just want to focus on something that Proverbs says, which is basically choose wisely. My favorite of the Indiana Jones movies, right? Choose wisely versus choosing poorly. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you're sort of grading people of the opposite sex like a farmer grades eggs for consumption. What it means is that you'll be thinking about these relationships, and this is what I would say. The Bible's full of these kinds of things, and Proverbs is full of it. You, you want to make a good choice. So the issue is, ladies, gentlemen, as you're thinking about this, beware people who are quarrelsome who are motivated by self-interest, who are willing to lie and to cheat and to steal, who are thinking only of themselves, who are not kind to others, who do not show restraint in their speech. Those things, according to what Proverbs lays out, those are the marks of a fool. And trust me, gentlemen, you don't want to marry a foolish woman. woman and trust me, ladies, you don't want to marry a foolish man. Okay. <laughs> Ladies, it doesn't matter how broad his shoulders are and how blue his eyes are. If he doesn't restrain his speech, if he's contentious and quarrelsome and does harm wherever he goes, run the other way. Have nothing to do with a fool like that. Gentlemen, if you find yourself enraptured by her beauty, but underneath there is nothing but vanity, be very careful. The people of God are people of substance because God is the source of all truth and beauty and goodness. And what we should be doing is being wise in this aspect of our relationships. Do not allow your feelings, your emotions, or the cultural standards of infatuation to push you in this direction. Be very careful. And I promise you this, if we all start expecting that, Members of the opposite sex will up their game. That's what happens. If we all expect more from one another, guess what happens? We all deliver more. If we make excuses for people who exhibit this kind of foolishness as seen in the book of Proverbs, if we look the other way, we are putting ourselves and everyone around us in danger, the Proverbs say. In fact, so much so that the passage that I wanted to focus on this morning in Proverbs chapter 13 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will, and this is intentional language, suffer harm. Suffer harm. Not only should we be intentional in our relationships with those in authority over us, with those who are wiser and more experienced, not only should we learn to love discipline in those relationships because it is for our betterment that we should desire to be stronger, to be better at who we are and what we do. We should also be intentional about our relationships with one another, particularly as it regards choosing a husband or a wife. Or if you're already married, acting in this way towards one another as husbands and wives. But this also goes for our friendships. This passage, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm, is something that I would like very much for you to be thinking about. It is one thing to want to have a ministry in someone's life and to be helpful. 
You know the difference when you are in a relationship where you are ministering and helping and encouraging someone and when you have made decisions to associate with fools who are dragging you into the abyss. You know the difference. No one needs to be told that. We know the difference. I remember as a teenager, my dad giving me this talk. Look, I understand you're in a public school. I understand you have these friends. Here's what I want to ask you. Very wise, uneducated man. Stand on the chair. Is it easier for you to pull me up or for me to pull you down? And that's the reality of it, is it's one thing to be having relationships. You can have relationships and friendships with people who are struggling. Beware the fools in your life, because those who walk with the wise become wise, and those who are the companions of fools suffer harm. Be intentional about what you're doing, not just in relationship to those who are in authority over you or have wisdom and experience over you, not just with regard to those long, permanent relationships of wives to husbands and husbands to wives, but also with regard to your social groups and your friends. It is so easy for us. It's a social dynamic. We drag one another to folly. The Bible is very clear that dragging one another to folly is dragging one another to harm. Because it is a disregarding of the principles of wisdom outlined in this book of the Bible and the whole of the Bible. And we'll end where we started. It is inconsistent with our professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are exhorted as his people to walk not as unwise, but as wise. It's my hope and prayer that you will think at some point in the next few days about living the intentional life as it applies to your relationships. That you would do the work of adjusting your perspective, of not being driven by the sensibilities of the age in which we live that says only go towards the things that that you have a preference for or spin your motor, make you excited and happy. Actually make the decision to move towards those things that are for your betterment and watch how your sensibilities follow after. The truth is, when you learn, when you, actually, when you actually practice loving discipline by moving towards it, by asking coaches and, and teachers and your, your instrumental instructors and your conductors, by asking your pastors and those who are discipling, what do you think I should do to get better at this, stronger at this? Where do I need to work on this particular skill or this particular character quality? Inviting that kind of input into your life, you will find yourself falling in love with discipline because it will have a positive impact on you. But if you run from it, trust me, you cannot hide from it. The failings that cause you to hate it will actually bring you ruin. Practice being intentional about your view of romantic relationships and the importance of being careful and wise and not overlooking serious, serious quality, uh, quality lacking, like a character problem. Don't overlook those things because you like someone or the sound of their voice. Good wives and good husbands are more precious than wealth. And be very careful with regard to your friends that you not make companions with fools who will bring you harm. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us and for your word and for the power that it has to teach us and to convict us. We pray that your spirit would use it to work in us 
We pray that your spirit would use it to cause us to think deeply about living intentionally. And as we focus this morning on this issue of relationships, I pray that you would give these students grace to be honest with themselves before you about their attitudes towards these kinds of relationships and give them what is required to make the sometimes upstream choices of living out their relationships according to the principles of biblical wisdom. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Have a great weekend.